Hello, this is Daryl here, sending love as always. Thank you for tuning in. I just want to say, if you like this interview, you can check our website for companion workbooks, action guides, tools, checklists, templates, and show notes with links for everything mentioned on the call. Just visit bestbusinesscoach.ca. That's best, B-E-S-T, businesscoach.ca. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always. Today, we are joined by Teresa Cantley, CEO, business strategist, and creator of the C-Suite Mentorship at Teresa Cantley LC. Teresa helps small businesses grow their profits, teams, and freedoms. And I've asked her to join us here today to talk about optimizing operations, building high-performance teams, and increasing profitability. So, Teresa, thank you so much for joining us. How are you? I'm good. Thank you yeah. for having me. Yeah, it's an honor and pleasure. We've been having some good pre-call banter back and forth. I'm excited for yes. this. Coffee's clearly kicking in on my end, but before I try to steal any of your thunder, how did you even get started in this? Do you come from a family of entrepreneurs? Were you just born naturally gifted? Where, where What was your inspiration? No. no, actually, my big dream when I was growing up was I wanted to be a fly girl on In Living Color. Now, I don't know. <laughs> I remember that. You or your listeners know yeah. of In Living Color. Some people that I tell that to, they're like, what was that? I'm like, Google oh, it. Yeah, no, Go I know exactly. On Go on, on YouTube it. and look it up. We're on it. I'm with you. I'm with you. That's a good dream. <laughs> yeah, hey, and hey, J-Lo and Rosie Perez got their started there. Right. Got their start there. But no, I do not come from a family of entrepreneurs. I started off, I went to, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Uh, right. And I liked to sew. So I went to fashion design school, switched majors three times and ended up with a degree in, in human resource management, mm. did nothing with that, got married super early the first time and got divorced super early. And then went through life trying to figure out, you know, what I was going to do. I didn't start, I ended up starting my first business. I was a, I worked, worked my way up in different industries. I was in the insurance industry. I worked at a college and put myself through school at a college and also worked there. And then I ended up, and like I said, I had gotten divorced really early, moved down towards Philadelphia and started working at a laboratory equipment company and went in as customer service and ended up as a director of marketing and operations. And my business partner and I, in my first business, she was my best friend and we worked at the laboratory equipment business together and we were just really stressed, really frustrated. We worked for five men and it was just a really difficult environment to be in. And one day we went to New York city, went to a gift show, what they call the, it's now known as New York now. And we were walking through it and she was more stressed out than I was. And she turned to me and said, do you think we could open up a store? And I was like, yeah, sure. What the heck? Yeah. So we opened up our first business, which was a retail store and did that for quite some time while we still worked full time. And, and then I, along the way, I was starting to see that there were a lot of small business owners. First of all, in the company that we worked in, I saw the good, the bad, and the really ugly of business and starting our first business saw a lot of business owners who were making a lot of mistakes were going through life savings and not really seeing anything closing their doors and it was just that coupled with the good the bad and the ugly that i saw and i was like you know what 
businesses need help. They really need help. And I have all this experience from all of these different industries that I've been in, especially the laboratory equipment and company that I worked at. I really was one of the only people there that worked in every single part of the business from finances to operations, to marketing, to customer service, to customer experience. So I wanted to take all of that and really help small businesses to not make mistakes, to not have to shut their doors and to really be able to see their dream come to life. Mm. And so while we had the, I was working full-time, had the retail store and then started the consulting business. And that was how I got started. I ended up leaving corporate and just had the store and the consulting business. And in 2016, um, my business partner and my husband were both diagnosed with cancer at the same time. And I was like, I don't want to do this store by myself. I have to be able to take care of them. And at the same time, our store wasn't necessarily profitable. The consulting business is what was carrying it. So I just said, I'm going to shut the store down and just continue on with the consulting business so that I had time to dedicate to both my husband and my business partner. And at the same time, continue to build my own dream, which was to help small businesses achieve theirs. Yeah, I think that's really powerful because we are the middle class, small and medium-sized businesses. Any company that's making under hundred million a year in my eye is small and medium-sized business. And we really are the middle class. And now more than ever, I'm like, an, I'm evangelical about supporting them because they've just been decimated. And before, before the middle class, it was kings and peasants, right? Yeah. So people don't understand yeah. that. People don't understand that. They really need to appreciate the entrepreneur and the small business owner that we created that. And that is incredibly important. So as you got and developed the skill set, what were some of the biggest challenges that you had to face? Like before you felt confident enough to venture out on your own, right? And help others on that journey to develop the skill set, to be prepared and ready and able for that. What were some of the biggest challenges that you had to overcome? I think the biggest challenge for me was the story that was in between my two ears was, can Mm. I really make this work? Can I really, do I really have what it takes? As well as I started to think, do I have enough experience? Mm -hmm. Do I have enough of what will really help people Mm -hmm. to achieve the things that they want to achieve? And I think that was probably, and to this day, um, to some extent, is still my biggest hurdle Mm -hmm. um, to get over. And it's one of the things I always tell my clients, I'm not immune to mindset issues. I'm not immune to money blocks and all those things that they're going through. I don't think anybody really is. And if they tell you that they are, they're full of it, full of it. But I always tell them business is 90% mindset, 10% tactic and strategy. If you don't as a business owner, as a CEO, if you don't master the army of one, which is what's in between your two ears and how you see yourself, how you see your business, what is possibility. If you don't learn to master that, None of the strategies, none of the tactics, none of that is going to work. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. That that falls in line with the research. I think I told you in our meet and greet that I'd spent a significant sum of money to help go through and to hire 10, 12 people to go through all the academic literature. And one of the critical success factors we identified was self-efficacy, which it's being effective yourself. Elon Musk has said it in a different way where he said, if you work a hundred hour a week and your competitors only work a 40 hour week, you'll just outwork them. And that's, Semi-true. There's truth to that. His thing is that you'll iterate faster. 
so you may still go in the wrong direction a lot of ways, but yep. at the same time, you'll work through it. That self-efficacy is super important. Your Absolutely. Awareness, the mental, yes. like your mindset, th those things really matter because it's, I had a martial arts school early in the days and I, we used to go to competitions and I'd seen people lose a competitive match before it even started because psychologically they would look at their opponent and you would just see their body language change. Like they, they didn't go in there with confidence, with belief in themselves. And it's not like they, they all had the tools. I'm not saying this was every, but there was people like they had the tools and they mm -hmm. just didn't believe in themselves. So I think that's a really good, a really good point. What do you Absolutely. feel are some of the fundamentals of running a successful business? I think first of all, first and foremost, people ask me, what's the difference between, by the way, I was in martial arts. Oh yeah. What, which yes. Art? I did Taekwondo and Jiu Jitsu. Nice. 17, 17 years. So what? Yes. What? That's pretty <laughs> wild. Yeah. Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. I trained with Hicks and Gracie in Japan. Really? For yeah, I got my blue belt. I got my blue belt. He's not from him, but at his school. Nice. Once, once upon a time. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Fundamentals, fundamentals. And it's funny because now that we bring up martial arts, I do when I talk to people, I do relate a lot of the stories about training in martial arts, training underneath the first gentleman that I, the first master that I trained under, he was from Brazil. Second one trained the Korean army and South Korea. And so it was quite a different perspective and different, yeah. just different learning. And, but the values were all the same. So I relate a lot of what I teach to people back to the training that I went through for so long, because it's just inherent in you after you train for that long. But so the fundamentals, people ask me, what does it take to go from six to seven figures or seven to eight figures? Is there a certain strategy? Is it, and the truth is, and this is, these two things are the, are part of the three pillars that all of the things that I teach and mentor people on are built on. So one of them is you need to have a really amazing team. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That is a fundamental and it's not based on the skills that people have, but who they are as a person, their values and their values have to align with your values as a business owner, but they also have to be willing to invest in the business just as much as the business is willing to invest in them. So mm -hmm. definitely having that amazing team, you can't do it on your own. You can't just like you said, with the whole Elon Musk thing, yep. As a business owner, you can't work 24 seven. You can't be the person that does everything. You'll never last for so long. And then you just burn out and you end up yep. resenting what you're doing. Yep. Yep. So definitely like the whole having an amazing team, that's definitely one of it. Second one is to, and that's part of what I call building a people centric culture or building a business from the inside out. I don't believe in building businesses from the outside in, but from mm -hmm. the inside out, starting mm -hmm. with your people, starting with you. So the second thing is a fundamental is to definitely have your processes, your, how you do things, how you streamline things, having that make sure that they align with your systems, your software. And I tell, I like to tell people that when you develop processes the right way, it's actually a way to connect people together versus just being something that you have in business. It's a way to, because processes are developed to educate, to delegate, to automate, to connect. So if you develop them right with the right intention behind them, you can actually connect 
whether it's employees that you're connecting together, it's your customers, and that lends itself to building an experience. So for Mm. me, when you have processes aligned with systems, it simplifies things in your business, but it also helps you to build that amazing experience, whether it's internal or external. So those are two things. And I think the last thing, and this is one of the most important is to make sure that you have, you're clear on the vision that you have for your business. And that vision needs to align with any strategy that you create. And when I first started my business, I just started out of necessity because I needed to make money. I wanted to get out of corporate America and I needed to make money. And I couldn't, we couldn't afford for me to just leave corporate and just go all in. So I started it out of the necessity, but I never really took the time to get super clear on what my vision was. Mm. And that didn't happen for several years And it was one of the biggest mistakes that I ever made was Mm. not being super crystal clear on what is that difference that I want to make in my business? What is that North star that I want to, that really means a lot to me? Mm. And what is it that I want to create from that? And I didn't, like I said, I never really spent a whole lot of time really getting clear on what that was. I know what it is now, but I never did that. And that's one of the first things that I work on with people is really having that clear vision and then who's going to help you co-create it, who you're going to collaborate with, and then how are you going to make it happen? So those I would say are the three, those are the three pillars that I work in when I work with people in my program, but they're also the things that I think are the absolute three biggest fundamental pieces that you need. I think that's a really good, it's a really good. Those are really good pillars, especially when you talk about the vision and strategy. I talk, I th- it reminded me of how a lot of people are really concerned on product market fit, but there has to be product market founder fit. Otherwise, your business becomes like the book report you can't get done in high school because you just have no interest in the topic or you just despise the people that, that your business serves or the type of people that you have to employ and it just becomes a chore. So I think that's a really important thing to put Absolutely. out there. What are some of the biggest mistakes that you see people making in regards to these three pillars? I think, I think first people want to take rushed action. They want, they think they're falling behind. They think they're behind or they think they're not doing things fast enough. So they take rushed action versus let's look at things and really see it clearly so we can build the right strategy. So when they take rushed action, that's when mistakes happen. That's when things fall short. That's when things fall flat. Instead of having a really clear idea on what you want to do, putting together, okay, these are the steps to get us there and then executing. And as I, I just had a conversation with somebody about this today, when you do it that way, you will achieve things way faster than if you just if you're just rushing into something. I think another big mistake that I've seen people make is they hire, they want to, they think that the way to grow their business is to add more into it. And this is classic. So they add, people add more products, they add more services instead of looking at things and actually pruning back and saying, what do we want to be known for? This goes back to the vision. What do we want to be known for? What do we want to, what is that thing that really 
aligns with what we want to do or those things, and then focus on what that core is and make it really amazing. I always tell people, especially in the retail world, go narrow and deep. Do right. not go yeah. wide. Otherwise yeah. you're going to have so much excess inventory. You're not going to be able to turn it. Yeah. But I think that's a classic thing that a lot of people do is they, and going along with that, they say, we need to, to, in order to grow our business, we need to just keep adding more stuff in. And then they have dispersed energy. So dispersed energy gives you random results, gives you the, you fall short on the results that you want. The other thing is that they focus solely on that top line revenue. And I hear it so often is, oh, our sales are up from last year. It's okay. That's great. What is your profit? <laughs> yeah. Your sales can be up 50%, but if your profit is up 50%, is down 50%, then you're like, who cares about your top line sales? Yeah. So I think that's something, another mistake that people make. And I think the last one is people, especially right now, people hold on to employees that um, are either toxic, negative, aren't doing their job. They hold on to them way too long. And mm. I think it's because people are struggling to hire good people right now. Yes. And I think there's a fear that, oh my gosh, if I let them go, then how are we going to fill that position? Or how are we going to keep going with the work? And instead of looking at it and saying, what if we move forward with the decision that we have to find someone else, there's going to be something bigger and better coming in. Yeah, I agree with you. There's a lot of great stuff in there. I love how first you talked about, it reminded me of a Jim Rohn quote. If you have an idiot and you motivate him, all you have is a motivated idiot. So what, you, what they really need is an education to point him in the right direction. And then at least they'll get there. Because I think what you said was really excellent. Instead of trying to do 101 things, you really need to pursue excellence. You know, a market, I say this a lot, a market is unknown and unknowable. If I ask you how many people are trying to buy a car today, we would be able to tell indicators, but we wouldn't know the true number. It's un, it's unknown and unknowable. It changes every day, right? People decide to buy a car and then something comes up and that money disappears and whatever. It's constantly changing, but everybody can acknowledge and recognize excellence. So if you really yeah. pursue excellence in a few things, we say inch wide, mile deep, right? That you can really excel in that category. And Absolutely. so laser, laser focus, right? Like yeah. laser focus can burn a hole through concrete and iron. So laser focus is really good. And I think you also really hit Stephen Covey. He talks about begin with the end in mind. It's not what you make, it's what you keep, right? And so for us, we really, that's why part of why some of the metrics we really focus on is like cost per lead, cost per sale and lifetime customer value. Because a lot of people, if they're trying to make all their money on the front end, it's really easy to get caught up to where like you're talking about your revenue is up, but you spent more to get those more customers too. And then you're flatlining because you're, you've got no profit left over. Whereas every subsequent sale you make is pure profit typically because it's five times more expensive to get a new customer than to keep one. So that lifetime customer value becomes really important to grow. And then yep. there's a lot of fat. You mentioned hiring issues. I've Everyone I've been talking to since the pandemic, it has been incredibly difficult for talent. So that I noticed that some of the people I've talked to that are employing thousands of people, like here in the Philippines, there's a lot of outsourcing centers. They're really trying to focus on training up within. They're really focused on culture training now because of that. And they've actually started to pick certain places because of the culture there. It's, it's, an, interesting, it's an interesting thing to note, but religious communities typically have really good discipline and high moral value, like high morals. 
And what that means yeah. is that there's conscientiousness mm -hmm. doesn't always exist in other places. And I'm not here necessarily advocating anybody needs to go sign up to a religion, but it's, there is a correlation between, <laughs> between those things because it's part of the culture. And so I've noticed that companies are trying to either identify job markets where they can hire people that have an existing martial arts is another category. Like that's not a religion, but martial artists tend to have very good discipline. And it's really almost dualistic yin yang. As you become more dangerous as a martial art, you have more respect for the damage that you can do. And so they always typically say it's way safer for you to come to train with a black belt than a white belt. Like the white belt is more likely to hurt you than the black belt, which seems like an oxymoron, but it's because the black belt understands and will like understands the severity and the repercussions and all that and will treat and is more aware. All the fights that you see, if it's an equal match, I say there's no such thing as a fair fight because if they were, nobody would win. So somebody is better and that's not fair. But the best and most entertaining fights are when it's really lopsided. That's when you get like the big throws and the one guy gets bludgeoned by the yeah. other one. Because if it's a, if it's an equal, equal fight, it's really boring because nobody's, everyone's afraid to make a mistake or make a move and they're very calculated. And unless you're really in the know of what's going on, you're like, Where's the blood and the flailing arms? We don't get that gratification. Yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. And going along with what you were saying, yeah, I don't care what industry it is. I work with mm -hmm. all different types of industries and everybody is struggling to get good people. But I think the whole thing is with the hiring is that we're trying to play with an old, a lot of businesses are trying to play with an old playbook. They're trying to hire based on what it was like to hire people before the pandemic, yep. even like 10 years ago, they're trying to, they're trying to use that old playbook of you put a post on indeed or monster or whatever have you, and you have a hundred different applications and you can just pick who you want. Now you have to, you got to build a relationship. You have to build a connection and you're responsible to sell the business and the position just as much as the person who's trying to sell them, sell their skills yep. and stuff back to you. Yeah. The other thing is, and this goes to the processes and building from the inside out, once you get them in the door, you really need to have that development program yeah. and have that employee experience really dialed in. And the clearer you are on who you need for that position and what the position's about and what you're about, you're going to be able to develop the right development program and the right experience so that these people are motivated. They're yeah. trained. They know yep. what they're doing. Yep. And then continuing that development process, people get, and I see it a lot, people get new employees in the door and they train them and then that's it. And right. in small businesses, it can't be like that. You have to continue to develop them, yeah. teach them new things, whatever that looks like. And I don't care if your business has two employees or 20 employees, you still need to have that development plan. Yeah, because people don't realize it's competitive. It's The world is hyper-competitive. There's so much of an emphasis on participation awards and all this kind of stuff now and equality for all. I Look, I, I think every living being on this planet has value, but- the world is a, is it's a competitive place. You're competing for the right partner that you want. You're competing to try to raise your kids and keep them safe. You're competing to against your own body to win against aging and to yeah. maintain peak mental and physical fitness. So it's just, there's real boundaries in the world. There's a real structure that goes on. And so I think what you're talking about from people, they bring it in, you're competing with every other business in the world, especially now with the internet, if you're a dry cleaner and a new revolutionary technology comes out, 
it will spread worldwide quickly, right? And so you have to constantly be innovating and training and growing to be excellent. And a tip for some people that are listening, accountability chart is a fantastic tool when it comes to trying to figure out your team in the sense that an accountability chart is different than an org chart. A lot of people, they want to make an org chart. They're like, oh, I'm the top of the pyramid. And then I've got my secretary. And then we're going to have this department, that. But it's not an organic. It's not very organic. I've heard people say the story. They heard this story different. But the way I heard this story when I was living in Japan was about how Tokyo University expanded their campus. And it was like land is very scarce in Japan. It's not bought and sold often. People buy and sell the buildings on the land frequently, but the land itself typically is not as, yeah, it's not as often to be traded. And so the university had purchased a large parcel of land and they wanted to build some buildings. And so they built the exteriors of the buildings and winter was coming. And there was the project manager that had the, uh, the blueprints for the buildings and everything. And then there was a site manager that was managing all the tradespeople. And they built the external parts of the building and they were pulling all the big equipment off the land. And the site manager went to the project manager going, hey, where should we be doing the landscaping? Where should the sidewalks be and the parking lot and all this? We're going inside for the winter, but we should get this other stuff done now. And the project manager said, no, just leave it. It's fine. Work, focus on finishing the inside of the building. We'll do the rest in the spring. And there was an argument. The site manager said, we have them here now. We should do it now. And he said, no, let's just wait. So they waited. And, and winter came and the campus opened and the buildings filled up. And then when the spring came and the snow had melted, they didn't need blueprints because people had made paths from where they were to where they wanted to go, where they, the best place to park, all this stuff, they just observed what naturally occurred and built to that. And that's for me, the difference between an accountability or an accountability chart and an org chart, where the accountability chart is you, you map out your customer journey and then you itemize all the tasks that have to be done to create this experience, to find these people, onboard them, create this experience as best as you can. And those itemized tasks, now you can group those into group like transferable skills or relate, oh, this is graphic design, this is whatever. And now you've got a list of things that you need to create your SOPs for. You know exactly what to train people in. And then when you're talking about your systems and processes, you can also look at how do we simplify? How do we standardize? How do we automate this, right? And what do people need to learn? Because a lot of times people are like, oh, I need a secretary because a task is not, no one's able to do a task and they need that task done. And then they hire a full-time staff when really, if they had made an accountability chart, they're like, oh, I only need someone for two hours a day for that. I don't need a full-time staff member. And there's just more clarity and accountability on what they need to do, how long it should take, right? And, and whether you, what kind of person you need to fill that role. That's just a little tip there. You're dropping some knowledge. I thought I would share some insights too. Now, what do you feel are some of the most important habits long-term to survive in business? habits long-term? I think definitely one of the habits is scheduling white space, whether it's in your day, in your week, and making sure that you have that downtime so that you can recharge. Yeah. But also that downtime is when your creative ideas come out. It's when, you know, you, it's when you can innovate when you can yeah. come up with stuff. If you're working constantly, and again, this is a hard lesson that I learned, when you're working constantly, like nothing can come out because you're just constantly working and you're in one season, that season yep. of hustle. Yep. So I think definitely scheduling that white space. I think that's a big one. I think also having time every day to do something that gives you reflection. So mm. it could be meditation. It could be okay. prayer. It could be walking in nature. It could be what whatever that is. 
I think connecting something beyond yourself, whatever it is that you believe in and giving yourself time to reflect, time to ask important questions. Tony Robbins, the quality of our life depends on the quality of the questions questions we ask ourselves. So giving yourself time to read to every day, or it could even be to like read something. I think that's another, that's a big one. And then the other one is no matter how big your business gets or how small it is, but I think how big it is, people think that, and I just did a whole thing on this. People think that when you get to a certain level as a CEO, that you disappear. Right. That you, yeah. <laughs> and the thing is that, yes, the idea is for you to do less in your business so that you can have more freedom to do what's next, to do, to really look at the business from a high level so that you can figure out different ways that you can take care of your people. You're never completely removed from the business. Mm. You just look at it from a different angle. Yeah. And I think I've seen a lot of business owners that remove themselves because they make $10 million and they then want to just disappear. And yes, while I think you, you've earned that time to take vacation and to do the things that you want to do, you also cannot just disappear without just getting updates from the people that you've put in place Mm -hmm. without still continuing to be the driver of the vision. Yep. When that goes away, the business goes away. Yep. Yeah, I agree. I've heard that the, you can delegate everything, but the marketing and the money in the sense of you can be hands off on pretty much everything. But if you are, if you take a look at Enron, they posted $101 billion in top line revenue a year before they filed for bankruptcy. So you keep your eye up the money, a fool and his money are soon parted. And then the same with the marketing. You don't necessarily have to do it. We have to make sure that it's in line. I, you, you reminded me of a friend of mine, Dan, actually a past guest on our show, Dan Fagelli. He sold a built and sold a business for seven figures. And he had said one of the things that really enabled him to have a successful exit was he got some advice from a, an older gentleman that told him every day when you wake up, your to-do list that you have for all the things you need to do in your business, that needs to be on someone else's list. Because as long as those are on yours, you can't sell the business. If you think about McDonald's drive-thru, I say this to my staff all the time. I'm like, you look at McDonald's drive-thru, they're never like, sorry, Sally's sick today, drive-thru's closed. Like the business solves a problem for the community. (laughs) And so why the CEO is stepping out is because they've created almost like a machine that's part software, part people, part physical assets and machinery that solves that problem for all a businesses is a group of people that solve the problem of another group of people. And they do it via a product or service. So when you create your business, you're solving that problem. I call it the black box. Oh, my teeth hurt. And you go into this black box that is the dentist office in pain, crying, and you leave on the other side, smiling and happy with this beautiful face. Right? So that's the black, you know, what is your black box? And you have to make it. So it just is this little machine that produces this result for people. Yep. And you have to stay when you do that. And that's the idea about having that great team and the processes and all that stuff. And you can have VPs, you can have a president underneath you, whatever it is, but you always have to be the driver of the vision. And that means passing stuff down and having the business run smoothly without you, but you never lose sight of being the driver of the vision as long as you own the business. Yes. Yes. I agree with that a hundred thousand percent, actually, if even, and I know we're coming up on the top of the hour. I know you're hungry and I, you've been dropping such great 
bombs here. I think people may want to listen to this call more than once to make sure they get it all. Being respectful <laughs> for your time, I want to ask you, is there anything that I haven't asked you that I should have asked you? I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. I think you've covered- Where do you think the future of things are going? Are you concerned about AI? Are you, do you think that the nature of business is changing in any way that's meaningful? Is is it going to be business as usual 10, 10 years from now, 20 years from now? No, no. I think that, I think that Black Lives Matter, I think that COVID, I think a lot of the things that we've been through as a society pointed out where we've fallen short and where we lost sight of what, what we needed to do to make this world better than we all found it. And mm. I think that also changed business. It changed people. And businesses now, I think you constantly, and it touches on everything that we talked about, you have to you have to build diversity into your business, diversity into thinking, diversity in experiences, diversity in ideas, so that you can continue to innovate in your business. Because diversity really is the thing that helps you to be an innovator. You need to be agile. You need to have agility in your business so that you can pivot as stuff happens. That means diversifying income streams. That means having things in place so that if you need to go from being, I always say digital to analog, if you need to go from being brick and mortar to being completely virtual, you can do it like that. So you need to have that, that agility built into your business. Mm. And you also need to build not just for today, but you need to build for future generations. And that's the whole having a sustainable business. You need to be able to, you need to have in the forefront of your mind that you're taking care of people. Mm. You're taking care of the planet, you know, with what you're doing. And you're also taking care of the profits mm -hmm. in your business because mm -hmm. that's going to help to take care of future generations. I think that when we take our eye off that, that's when things fall apart. Mm. I think that again, people are different. We've been through so much as a society that just has really rocked the core of everything. And we need to continue to right the wrongs. We need to continue to, again, build better businesses by being better leaders. That's what it really mm -hmm. comes down to. Mm -hmm. And I think, again, so many businesses have taken their eye off that, even like businesses when they close down for COVID and let people work from home. And now you hear about all these people who are making people come back into the office. And it's, did we not learn anything? Mm. As far as AI, I am, I'm not worried about AI yeah. because there's so many conspiracy theories and things going on out there. But I think that, again, thinking to yourself as a business owner, even somebody who's starting a business, finding the gap in your industry, finding the gap in with what's happening and how can you fill that gap? My my mentor, Mel Abraham, he always tells me that there's a difference between being an entrepreneur and being a thought leader. Mm. And the thought leader like looks at things and says, what insights do I have? What experience do I have? What knowledge do I have that I can use to help fill a gap and help bring help people to find me versus just solving a problem? Yeah. So a thought leader does both. They solve the problem, but they do it through their own, they pull out of their own experiences, their own insights, their own knowledge to help other people. And I mm -hmm. think that the more we do that and the more we focus on, it's not just about the product that you sell. It's not just about the service that you provide. 
It's about how can you do things different? How Mm. can, what makes you different? What do you stand for beyond all of that stuff? And when we focus on that's how we can really make a difference. And I think that's the more we do that as businesses, because my philosophy, one of the reasons why I do what I do is that with all of the things, again, that we've been through as a society, if we start in, in as local businesses, as small businesses, because I mean, we really are the fabric that weaves Mm -hmm. a community together, that holds a community together, that makes it thrive. And I think that if we start within our own businesses and we take responsibility to take care of our employees, to take care of the community, it will pay itself forward because those employees go home and they treat their family better. They treat their friends better. They want to support other businesses. And I think if we do, that's really how we can start to make inroads into changing the world, like making the world a better place. Yeah, I agree with that a hundred percent. I reminded me of Karl Popper was one of the first educators on science and he had a formula for the scientific method. Now all science is built on one miracle. Science says, give, give me the big bang and I'll explain everything else. And so all science is built on one, one magic, one, one stroke of magic, which is the big bang. Everything came from the big bang where the big bang come from. We don't know, but we can explain everything within the big bang. And he explained <laughs> that the scientific formula, the scientific method is P1 plus TS plus EE equals P2. So problem one plus temporary solution, your hypothesis, plus eliminate the errors equals problem two. Or you're still at problem one, but now you've learned new things. So you come up with a new temporary solution. And so it's very circular. And so how do we eliminate errors? It's through observation, experimentation, research, right? Discussion, debate. Mm -hmm. These are how we eliminate the errors. And it's a constant progress. It's a, a constant process. And that's, as humans, we're knowledge creation machines. This is literally, some people glamorize how it was to live. I wish I could go back and live in the medieval ages. Women had six, seven kids because only two or three would survive. That's exactly. not that's not better. Like holding your dying child in your arms is not something, people don't get that. We've, we live to almost a hundred now in some places of the world. So there's a lot of things to be, be grateful for. I just think what you said was really true. And I, I appreciate talking about the diversity part in the sense of if whether you're helping people find jobs or you're putting on a big event like the Super Bowl, if you're helping people find jobs, there's high-powered CEOs looking for high-powered CEO jobs, and there's homeless people that need jobs. It's the same problem, but there's two different experiences, two different types of people. And the same thing with the Super Bowl. You can try to stream it for free online, or you can pay for pay-per-view, or you can go to the pub and split the costs with a bunch of people to get pay-per-view. You can go for the nosebleed tickets. You can sit with your feet on the green at the half, at the, what is it? The center line. Yeah. You pay for a big expensive box right up top and still watch it on TV, even though you're in the stadium. I don't get that, but it's the same thing. It's just different price points, different ways people want to enjoy the experience. And so I think it's important to remember that we are as humanity marching forward and that there's an opportunity for to make money with everybody. Right. So yep. if, if you leave one group behind, it just leaves an opportunity for your competitors. So really interesting thoughts. Teresa, if people want to get in touch, if they have questions, if they want to learn more, where do they go? How do they, what do they, where do they find you? You can find me at TeresaCantley.com is my website. I also hang out a lot on LinkedIn and I'm just 
Teresa Cantley, and also over on Instagram. Same thing, Teresa Cantley. And if they want to hear me on a weekly basis, my podcast is Locally Grown. Locally Grown. So go check out our podcast, Locally Grown. You can find her on LinkedIn, T-H-E-R-E-S-A-C-A-N-T-L-E-Y. You can find her on LinkedIn or just put a .com at the end of that. T-H-E-R-E-S-A-C-A-N-T-L-E-Y.com. Go check out our website. Teresa, thank you so much for joining us. It has been an honor and a pleasure, you know, and especially knowing you have your own following, your own show, all that sort of stuff. Thank you for coming and sharing with me and mine. Thank you. It was an honor to be here and it was great chatting with you. I know, always a pleasure. Always make me laugh.